everyone. We just wanted to share that Wolfpack Ranch are running a promotion with this episode and giving away an amazing prize to one lucky listener. Stay tuned to the end to find out more. You won't want to miss it. Horses are the ultimate leaders because all they do is listen. We think we're leaders because we speak a lot, but we're not. Mm. And the horse can flip that pretty quickly and let you know that, hang on a second, (laughs) we're not doing that. And it teaches us to be really aware of what we're showing up with. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Jesse and Matt Wolf, welcome to the Building Doors podcast. So good to be here. Thank you. Very excited. We were having little chats just before about ostriches and chicken daddy calendars. It's going to be an absolutely great... Not weird at all. Not weird at all. <laughs> not weird at all. All animal lovers. So I'm definitely keen to share more about your business and your journey with the guests here. So Jesse and Matt Wolf, I'm going to tell you them a bit about you first. Jesse and Matt Wolf were born and bred in sunny Queensland, which is where they founded and built their business, the Wolfpack Health and Wellness Ranch. As passionate horse people, the team realised that their time in nature and time with horses has an incredible healing power for the mind, body and soul, and they're dedicated to helping as many men, women and children connect with the earth and access the power of horses as healers through their business. Jessie grew up in rural Queensland and was often referred to as the Pied Piper due to her affinity with animals and nature. Jessie worked for many years in Melbourne as a high-level marketing consultant across various brands and clients. She completed a Bachelor of Communication and Masters of Marketing before she realised her calling was to reconnect with nature and horses and use her passion to help others. After working many years in corporate, Jessie believed it was time for a change. Matt had his own background working in the cattle farms and then completing a train as a boiler maker prior to working in the metal industry. He took up MMA fighting and met Jesse, and as the story goes, boy meets girl, they build a life together, and today Matt is based on the Wolfpack Health and Wellness Ranch with his wife and children accompanied by a herd of horses, cattle, buffalo, and a house pig and soon to be an ostrich. Soon ostrich. (laughs) (laughs) Their life is unlike many others, and in her spare time, Jessie can be found taming a wild Northern Territory swamp buffalo using the Warren Schiller-inspired training techniques. Had to get you on. What an interesting (laughs) life. Like, just listening to that. We sound so much cooler when someone else says it. (laughs) It does, hey, doesn't it? It You you both seem pretty cool to me. And I must confess, when I learnt about your story and when your story was brought to my attention and your journey, as an animal lover myself and someone that also lives out in acreage, I loved the idea because I do definitely believe in our connection to nature and animals and what a great impact that has on mental health. You also have an assistant dog in training in here today. Yeah. Yeah, lollies. We don't, lollies, fast asleep at my feet. (laughs) Nailing the brief. So give our listeners a bit of insight into your backstory. And I guess some of the most significant moments that led to you founding the Wolfpack Health and Wellness brand and tell us more about that. Well, I guess both of our backgrounds are very different to each other and quite different to what we're doing now. Yet the journey when I look back on it actually feels quite linear. So I obviously come from a marketing background. I started out in music and then wanted to be a music business and someone was like, oh, you should look at PR. You might be really good at this. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but whatever, I'll get a degree in that. (laughs) And I did (laughs) and then loved it. It was great and I was very good at it and worked with really amazing people and it was around about the same time that print media was on its rapid decline. And so I kind of went, I might need to do something else now Mm -hmm. in order to have a sustainable long-term career. And so I went and studied marketing and did my master's there and moved into Brandside to work as head of marketing for a really wonderful family-owned and operated business. And we were in the cake space, which was great because I got to just basically come up with amazing new treats to feed people, which seemed really cool. And on the outside looking in was really cool. And then I had a bit of an existential crisis that we have a bit of a global issue with health and wellness. And here I was quite literally building a career around exacerbating that problem. And Mm. I just didn't feel right about it. Mm. And me personally, I'd sort of started getting into martial arts and really focusing a lot on my own health and wellness and going, there's this real disconnect for me. I'm disconnected in that what I do 
to pay the bills doesn't align from a values and morals perspective with what I do in my personal life. Mm. And I needed to reconcile the two. So I made the decision that I would stay in my field of marketing, but I wanted to move into a business that was more health and wellness oriented and was swiftly told by lots of people that that wasn't an option, that you couldn't do that if you didn't have a health degree. And I like to just tell people to bugger off. So I was like, well, the more you tell me I can't do it, the more determined I will be to do it (laughs) and moved into a health and wellness role, actually inside a big pharmaceutical company. But I was specializing in commercializing non-drug-based dietetic research to help people live and feel better and take those products to market. And it was great. And then, yeah, as the story goes, I met a boy and came to Queensland um, and (laughs) continued in that space, but moved solely into consulting. And being in a consulting role, I'm able to work with businesses and brands that align for me from a morals and values perspective and, you know, still make the ends meet, but it still didn't quite feel 100% in line. And then I started digging a little bit more into ways that I could connect to things that bring me so much joy and make them the things that paid the bills. Mm. And then COVID happened. And all of a sudden I went, hang on a minute, we are on this piece of land and we're spending every day rooted in nature and our feet in the dirt and with our horses. We had businesses, like we were self-employed and we had a baby during COVID, like all of these things that should have been really terrible. But we were able to kind of go through it and go, wow, that didn't really feel that bad. Like, Mm. But we were watching the world around us go, there were people suffering left, right and centre, like mental health is rapidly deteriorating. Mm. And we kind of went, the reason why we were able to get through this so well and feel so good about it was because we spent so much time just in nature, just outside being Mm. and connecting and not caught up in the concrete box. And we looked at the city around us and went, all these people are stuck in concrete boxes and it's really not serving them well. We've got such a blessing to be where we are doing what we do. How can we take that to more people? Mm. And that's how we ended up doing what we're doing now. We just wanted to be able to give more people the joy and happiness that we were blessed with. And that manifested in opening the doors and creating a health and wellness business that essentially helps more people connect with nature to find themselves and find what brings them joy. I love it. Yeah. And your background was completely yeah, different. It's, it's, a, it's a 180, a little bit different. I left school when I was 14 and went droving and bush mm. with animals and horses and cattle and and then sort of realised that if you didn't have a degree in outback, mm. you didn't get paid as much. So you could go to university or you could go to ag college and get like a certificate three in beef cattle production, which put you on like different tier structures on stations. Yeah. So I did 12 months at Emerald Ag College where I did my stint driving and realizing that I should probably go and do some study and then try and get paid more because I think it was like $250 a week for a seven-day week. Wow. Like 4 a.m. in the morning till 7 o'clock at night. And working hard too. Yeah. 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 Great lifestyle. Yeah. And then I did ag college for a year and then went, it's just, it's a great lifestyle, but there's just no, no future in being a jackaroo. Mm. Um, so I was like, right. I'll go and get a trade. And my dad had his own metal fabrication business. So mm-hmm. I was like, I rang him up at the end of ag college and I'm like, can I get an apprenticeship? And he's like, I've been waiting for you to ask that. <laughs> so I moved back to Brisbane, no animals, no horses, mm. started my trade, finished my trade and then went to Mackay and basically worked in the mines away from all the animals and bits and pieces. Mm. Got really unhealthy, just camp food and no motivation and then found MMA. And basically started to do that just to get fit mm. and then fell in love with it, had one amateur fight and then was, I was hooked. Mm. So through that, I um, ended up having I think about 16 or 18 professional fights mm-hmm. and then through that journey, yeah, met Jez, moved to, was in Brisbane, mm. living with my boxing trainer in a unit complex in Lutwich actually. Mm. No pets again, just no dogs, no horses, nothing mm. and just felt like I was missing something. Hmm. So when we met, you know, we we got one dog. Well, Jez already had a dog. <laughs> she had a little, very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> had a little. She had a chihuahua, and then we got a, our first dog. Goes to is basically a wolf. She's a Alaskan Shepherd, so German Shepherd cross Malamute. Oh yeah, yeah, beautiful. So we're like closest thing you can get to a wolf, basically in Australia. So we got her, and then we got another dog, <laughs> and then we moved to some acreage, and we got horses. And everything just started. The ball just started rolling with you know animals coming in, and just how natural it felt mm. being surrounded back by animals because when I was a kid I used to love the same as jazz like if I could have all of the animals I would mm. and then yeah we moved out to 
Fernia Fernvale and rented for a couple of years on 10 acres mm-hmm. and just kept adding to the collection and then moved to our Wolfpack Ranch now in Winora and kept adding and adding. And yeah, as we said at the start, we've got an ostrich coming in a couple of weeks and we've got <laughs> Asianic water buffalo and we've got Mediterranean water buffalo and cattle and house pig and turkeys and guinea fowls and I couldn't be happier. We love it. Mm-hmm. How's the demand for ostrich transport? <laughs> Yeah, well, if anyone is coming up from Victoria in the next couple of weeks. With a trailer, <laughs> we could use a hand with yeah. an ostrich. <laughs> I love that. Mm. But, yeah, basically just really trying to work out how we can bring what we have to the wider community and and just, yeah, get people to reconnect back with themselves in nature. I'm really interested in that concept as well is connecting people because you both had different careers and you went in the corporate world and you went into the mining industry, right? Essentially, that's where you were both ended up and there was something missing. So Mm -hmm. I do feel like a lot of time people know that there's something missing. They don't know what it is. And a lot of times, sadly, they don't pursue it. Mm -hmm. They just leave that. And then their life, there's just that piece that might have been missing that they could have had fulfilled. What do you think it is about animals and being close to nature that does provide such benefits? So if someone's listening right now and they're they're in the city or, you know, f- through both of your journeys, what is it about that that makes the difference? For me, animals don't judge. You can be with a dog, a cat, a bird, a goldfish and just share space and energy and there's no judgment. They're not like, oh, what are you wearing that for? Oh, your hair looks a bit shit. No animals judge. So for me, it's... I mean, the more you have, you're surrounded by all these beings and these energy fields that have no perspective of what is or isn't. You know what I mean? Mm. They just I think happy also, to share space with you. We live in a time where it's a phenomenal time to be alive, right? We've got the internet. We've got all this technology. We've got phenomenal social infrastructure. It's incredible. But not that long ago, we didn't have all of these things, right? Society has evolved at an incredibly rapid rate, but people haven't really changed that fast. From a biological or physiological perspective, we haven't changed all that much. Mm. We are nature. We like to consider ourselves as separate as these kind of, you know, third-party entities over here. But at the end of the day, we are mammals. We are organic creatures. Or animals. We are animals. And so not that long ago, we lived in caves. We lived intense. We lived really rooted in nature. Mm. And in a very short period of time, we have ripped ourselves out of that and we've put ourselves in concrete boxes. Mm. Our primary need states haven't changed. And so, you know, on this journey through this phenomenal technological growth, we've developed all of these ailments along the way that previously weren't problems. And it's because all of a sudden we have separated ourselves away from the things that resonate with us most. And that is time in nature, that is time with animals. You know, not that long ago, we lived with animals basically on top of us. Not that long ago, horses were intrinsically linked in our lives. We use them for transport. We use them for farming. We we use them to go to war. Now, all of a sudden, we've gone, oh, actually, we don't do any of that stuff anymore. And we wonder why all of a sudden we've got all these other problems. Mm. We actually, if we just take a little bit away and go, what can we do just to reconnect a little bit more with our natural state that was until very recently the status quo, mm. we find all of a sudden our vibration changes. All of a sudden, we we start to feel healthier. We start to feel more well. And if you're a science mind and you need to feel it from that perspective, well, we know for a fact that there are bacteria in soil that are fundamentally linked to improved mental health outcomes. We know that sun is incredibly important for us to have enough vitamin D in order to feel healthy and well and have a strong immune system. So mm-hmm. there's a plethora of science to validate the importance of people spending time in nature. We just like to come up with lots of reasons why we can't make that happen and build lots of infrastructure that makes that really hard. So, mm. you know, just what we want to do is just help more people create more reasons to take down those barriers and get back to the things that will ultimately make them feel better and have better health and wellness outcomes. And so obviously you're running this program. Tell us more about, you know, some of the impacts you've seen. Have you seen people come and work with you and there's been a transformation or a shift that you've been kind of proud of or some people where you've been able to work with them and demonstrate it with what you're saying right now where they might have come from a city or something like that? Have you had some of those examples? We're still in the process of getting all our ducks in a row Mm. with this. So it's been like family and friends. We do a bit of NDIS work with some neurodivergent kids. Okay. So there's been a fairly, you can see the shift it has in like behavioral issues and bits and pieces like that. But as like for the wider community, we're still in the process of, because we could, tomorrow we could turn around and go, yep, Wolfpack Health and Wellness Clinic, 
everyone come on everyone, in. Yeah, we're, we're equine therapists. Yeah, yeah. the problem is it's Which a really- we can do legally, yeah. but morally it right. doesn't sit right for us. So we're doing our, our studies. Doing all the studies. And yeah. then yes. we're getting our bits and pieces signed off. So we've got like a, a backing where we can then be confident in delivering. Yeah. The good part is, is we're not the only people doing this and we are definitely not inventing the wheel. There are people around the world who have been doing this for years, but it's one of those things which, you know, there's a really phenomenal equine guided educator, Ariana Strosi in America, and she really pioneered a lot of interactions between people and horses. And be that she does a lot in the leadership space, a lot in corporate leadership. And for years, she had to call it different things because as soon as she put the word equine and leadership and equine and corporate in the same sentence, people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, she was working with like military and police and they had to call it different things because it was too woo. It was just a bit too far out there at that point in time. But because we're not inventing the wheel and there have been people doing stuff like this around the world for years and years and years and it's just kind of been a bit fringe, there's huge bodies of anecdotal evidence of it delivering really phenomenal outcomes for people. I mean, even in Australia, there's a lot of evidence around, you know, equine-assisted therapies and return veterism, managing PTSD, and that's really well documented. And there's a lot of documented evidence around, you know, the police doing work in this space as well. There's a phenomenal equine psychotherapist down the coast who does it and mm. she just the outcomes they're getting are phenomenal where we're sort of a little bit different is that we're wanting to take it just a little bit further than that in that historically people in this space have been quite siloed they kind of go oh well, I do equine psychotherapy or I do equine assisted learning or I, I kind of do this other little bit over here and we're sort of going well hang on a minute you're all kind of doing the same thing what you're doing is connecting people back to nature. So let's kind of bring it all together mm. and let's bring in some of the other health modalities and well as well so that, you know, everyone is kind of singing from the same hymn book and people are able to find something that feels right for them in the space because equine and assisted psychotherapy might be too much for some people. They might mm. go, well, that's a little too far-fetched for me. But if I said, hey, we can do talk therapy outside under a tree together so that we are just really enjoying some peace and some fresh air, or we can do it while we take a walk around the farm, that might feel a little bit more in line. Mm. Similarly, there'd be corporate teams who go, oh, the equine psychotherapy thing is a bit much, but if we were doing like a group leadership focused session that just happened to be with some horses, we could get there. We're mm. okay with that. That feels right. Mm. So we're just trying to kind of connect all those little pieces together and make sure that more people can access it because it isn't necessarily feeling quite so intimidating. Yeah, it's interesting. What do you think people can learn about horses with leadership? So when you're looking at that connection with horses, I actually had a guest previously who has had horses his whole life yeah. and he talked about when we talked about mentoring he mentioned horses yeah. like it's being his biggest mentor which I found really interesting so tell us more about that leadership space and horses so horses are prey animals right so their ability to survive in the wild is rooted in their ability to work as a team so in Horses in the Wild, you have a band of horses is what they're referred to and everyone has a very clear and a very specific job no one messes around going, I want this job, I want that job. Everyone goes, no, no, I have a job and my job is phenomenally important. A band of horses is led by an alpha mare. They're a matriarchal society. So the alpha mare doesn't really do a lot. She takes life pretty cruisy. Her main job is to take the information from her team, which is her band of other horses, mm. and make critical decisions during critical times based on the wisdom of the people in her team. That in itself is a phenomenal lesson in leadership. Less leadership should be about going out and being the boss of everyone and dictating everything, but rather using the collective wisdom of your team to go, here is the information being fed to me by the most critical people that I could hope to have, and I will use that information to make a decision mm. on where we go and when. And everybody knows that they were fundamental in shaping that decision and they will rally behind and we will go together to achieve that. Similarly, horses, because they are prey animals, they're very sensitive to energy. So if you show up with a big person with big energy to a horse, they will respond very intensely to that. Similarly, if you show up with not a lot, they will respond accordingly. So when we use horses in team coaching and leadership environments, we help people understand what they're showing up with and mm -hmm. how that impacts those around them. When you try and do that with human to human, it feels judgy, right? We don't really want to do that with each other because, you know, at the end of the day, being vulnerable, like feeling shame is tough around other humans. When we do that with a horse, mm. all of a sudden that's not a problem anymore. So if I'm showing up and trying to take a horse 
through an obstacle course, for example, me and say three or four other people need to do this as a team. And in mm. order to achieve this, we need to work with the horse because I can assure you, you cannot drag a 500 kilo animal through a, like an obstacle course if it doesn't want to go there. Mm. So you need to be aware of what am I showing up with? What are we showing up with? Mm. Are we yeah, showing as a up? Team. Exactly. Are we showing up with coherence? Does this horse feel like it's safe with us? Mm. If it's not feeling safe, it will not participate. Are we showing up with too much intensity? Because it's going to back away. It's not going to want to participate. Are we showing up with too little? Because it won't trust us to come along. So it teaches us how to work coherently and it teaches us to be really aware of what we're showing up with. Because it's hard as people, if you've got a room full of people, everyone's trying to speak at once. As a leader, you'd be like, there's just too much information coming in from everyone. With horses, you don't necessarily have to be speaking for them to hear you. So if you've got a group of people that you're trying to help in a, a leadership thing and everyone's trying to th- do it their own way, well, I've got a, I've got my way of doing it and someone else has got their way of doing it in their heads, they're all trying to do it their way. All that information to the horse just sounds like white noise. There's too much going on. There's too many voices. So you need to sort of really have that coherence as a group to then, mm. you know, complete the task with the horse. Mm. And then if you can do that in that area, in the boardroom, when everyone's on the same page, you get into that flow state where things just happen. Mm. So it's helping people learn that working in a team environment as a true team environment, not just, oh, we're all working together. In our minds, we've got our own way of doing things. Mm. It's really being on that same page and just finding that flow state and just And because they're so energetically sensitive, because it's how they had to be in order to survive in the wild, using that example, if someone in the team has gone, yeah, yeah, it's fine, we'll just do it this way, but they're not coherent with that decision, the horse will really pick up on that and they will say, "Mm, you're here, but you are not here. Mm. Like, I know you are not here. And as humans, even though we won't necessarily always consciously pick up on that, if we are working as a team and we know someone isn't all in, we can feel that they're not coherent with it. We feel that drag. We feel that pull. And at the end of the day, eventually that becomes the weak link. Mm. So, you know, it teaches us to go, I either need to say something so that I can become all in. I need to feel seen. I need to feel heard. We root a lot of our work in polyvagal theory. So it's around that whole concept of being seen, being heard, feeling felt, getting gotten. Mm. So if you know, if you're a member of the team and you don't like the way everyone's decided to move forward, if you just go, yeah, it's fine, I'll do it, the horse is gonna really pick up on that and it's not gonna participate in the way that you really want it to. It's not gonna make life easy. And for the so, individual, they may have a really valid point on why that doesn't yeah. feel right with them. And if they voice that opinion, then other people in the group may be like, that's a really good point. We didn't even see it that way. So mm. giving people that voice to then go, well, it's not, I'm 99% there, but there's this 1% that just doesn't feel, and this is why. And then the whole group might be like, mm. we didn't even see it from that angle. Mm. Let's get on the same page. Yeah. How can we you know, yeah. adjust and, and yeah. then go forth and conquer? It, it teaches us how to have a voice in a way that helps us bring coherence to the group. So it might not necessarily be a case of getting your way. It's a case of learning the skills to be able to deliver what you need so that you can become coherent with the group. So it works on so many different levels to be able to teach groups of people to work together well and to teach people who are leaders how to listen to their people and become coherent with them because at the end of the day, we know that achieves better outcomes. It's interesting too because so much of what goes and through this podcast, we've talked to so many different leaders and a lot of what you see around leadership when you're just seeing it from a through LinkedIn or through the social media and things like that, a lot of what you see about leadership is about the individual and how to become a good leader and it's all about you. But I love what you talk about with energy because what makes a great team or what makes a leader great is the energy that builds within that team. I think what makes a leader great is the ability to listen Mm. and what makes team members great is the ability to speak. If we're a leader and we can't listen, why have a team? Mm. And if you're a team that doesn't have the confidence to speak, Mm. you're just relying on someone to give you orders, Mm. you know? So having that for the the team leaders, inverted commas, that come to do some of the programs when we develop these programs, it's not about, all right, horse, now we're going to do this. Horses are the ultimate leaders because all they do is listen, Mm. you know? And we think we're leaders because we speak a lot, but we're not. Mm. And the horse can flip that pretty quickly and let you know that, hang on a second, 
We're not, we're <laughs> not doing that. They talk about them being really phenomenal mirrors. Mm. They say, you know, oh, a horse is a mirror of who you are. And that doesn't necessarily mean that if I'm an asshole, my horse is an asshole. <laughs> it's a shadow. It will be it's the shadow, shadow of yourself. So yeah. if I show up to the horse and I'm a bit of an asshole, the horse will react accordingly and it might really shy away from me. Mm. It might become a bit shut down. Either way, it's going to make life really hard to achieve what I'm trying to achieve with that horse. So they really teach us to be aware of who we are and what we're bringing to the table and the energy that we're bringing to and the And then on the flip side, if you're a bit shut down as a person, the horse will be up in your grill and hmm. this and is, then, you know, yeah. you know, we're going to do this way. And even though it's a really well-trained horse that doesn't do that with other people, mm. it will be. And then you've got to sort of then put in barriers in place to assert yourself. And then as soon as you start to do that, these horses are these amazing leaders and they'll be like, that's what we wanted you to do. Mm. We wanted you to stand up for yourself, put up a barrier. Now let's go and do the it's obstacle like course. What's not spoken as well. Like it's, it's, it's and no one really, yeah, no one talks about energy or gut. And I think energy is something that you, you learn a lot about for your self awareness and self improvement. You learn about meditation, the benefits of connecting to your own energy. But there's still not a lot in the leadership world, in the corporate world out there about group energy, about connecting energy with others, about the unspoken side of leadership. So I find that really interesting. Yeah. So tell us about founding a business, building a business is not easy. I can testament to that and doing that with a family is hard as well. Tell us about some of the challenges. Like, And I want us to be real about it because I think it's important for people to, to know that it is normal to have challenges. So tell us about some of the challenges that you've overcome building a business. Challenges can come in like a million different ways. And I think, number one, having your own business isn't for everyone. Hmm. Like you said, when yeah, we were talking about this yesterday. that's probably my biggest lesson is like. Sometimes you just have to realize that if you've got a niche and you're really good at your job, like you don't have to have hmm. your own business because it is hard work. We hmm. glorify entrepreneurship in our society, right? All of a sudden, like it's a sign of status. Yeah. Like I'm an entrepreneur. Everyone <laughs> wants to be it. I'm like, mate, it is not for everyone. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast or not. It's fine. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Because it's a bit shit a lot of the time, right? Like it's a tough gig. So I think the biggest hmm. lesson for anyone is that like it's okay to not be self-employed, to run your own company or to be an entrepreneur just because everybody says that you have to do that in order to have this status in society. That is bullshit. Mm. If you are bloody good at what you do and you love going to work nine to five and you like the consistency and you have a good boss or you are a good boss or whatever it might be, that's totally okay. Mm. That is a ripper life and, like, you do that. Don't feel like you have to go True. out Absolutely. and do all these other things because it is a hard slog and it's definitely not for everybody. I think that's probably the biggest lesson when people go, oh, I'm thinking about going on my own. I'm like, you just want to be really sure, mm. right? Like, just And it is great. It's fantastic like, to work for yourself. Amazing. I've, I've, I've like, worked for myself since I was, like, 19 years old. Mm. I call myself unemployable. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't work. <laughs> For someone again, because yeah. I just have just the way I'm wired. I just have ways of doing things, and if I can see a way of doing something better, I'm like, "Hey, can we do it this way?" And if it's someone else's schmick, they're like, "Nope, it's sugar mills." When I was before I started my business, mm. there was ways in sugar mills where I'm like, "Oh, we could do it this way," and it would cut down time and safety, and it would make things faster and more effective. And it's been done like this for sixty years, so mm. it's going to be done like this for the next sixty. It's like, well, I'm out, and I'm going to go start my own business. Mm. And basically, yeah. I it's just, it's hard, but it is great. So You've got to be ready to say lots of yeses as well. Say yes to things that to make everything. you a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. And saying yes to things with no expectation of them becoming anything more than maybe a cup of coffee. Mm. But there's so many cups of coffees that turn into other things and there's so many cups of coffees that just end up as cups of coffees. But mm. you've got to be ready to say yes to them all and yes to things that maybe you're not quite ready for mm. and yes to things that scare the bejesus out of you. There's lots of yeses. There's mm. You don't really get to say no's, um, which can make balance really hard. I think yeah. saying yes is an important one that you talk about there because I think there's a lot of that when you start a business is just meeting different people, hearing different people's stories, making connections, not knowing where that connection might lead and just it's almost like building a little roadmap but yeah. you don't know the destination. Yeah. And I feel like some people would find that uncomfortable, right, because you don't know where things are going to end up. There's not that security of you know 
things are going to go a certain way because things change in business. COVID tells us that. We don't know what's around the corner. Recessions, whatever may happen, you've got to roll with it when yeah. you run a business. And you've got to be really comfortable with a lot of discomfort. When it rains, it pours. But when the drought comes, like you will beg, borrow and steal to make the ends meet. Obviously, you know, in any business, the time comes where cash flow is no longer a problem. Mm. But everyone I know that runs a small to medium-sized business will say at some point or another, cash flow is always a struggle. And if you're looking to go into business for yourself and you have a family, that's a really confronting realization to make, to go, you know what, I'm making a choice and I need to make sure that I can continue to pay my mortgage and put the kids in school and all those bits and pieces and going, am I ready to really like do this? And I think you know, that's why, I mean, we live in an age which is so phenomenal in that a lot of people are able to kind of keep their main gig and have a little bit of a side hustle. Yeah, well, I was just going to say and that. Think, if people that are looking forward to starting their own business. Do the juggle for as long as yeah, possible. Instead of mm. going home and putting on Netflix, hustle. Work on your hustle. Like, work mm. on whatever it might be. And, you know, and I hate that. I hate the concept of, like, work on your hustle because that's kind of attached to a really kind of crappy social constructs. But, <laughs> you know, it's do the thing that pays the bills for you. And then every waking minute you have spare, work on the thing that you want to do as your business, whatever it might be. Passion project. Correct. Great. That's what I've started because I'm with you. I don't love the hustle word. No, it feels. It's got this connotation of like everything is work and nothing. It reeks of imbalance, right? It does. That's right. And I'm not into that. And I think balance is obviously so important. But use all the time that would normally be sent. It's like don't doom scroll. Don't sit there and doom scroll on your social media platform. Use that time to listen to a book or do some extra study or make a connection with someone or go for that coffee, work on your business until the time comes where you go, yes, okay, now I can cut back on my steady eddy and just go 100% Mm, into this other thing. Do the juggle for as long as possible. And it's not easy. It is hard, but no one said it would be easy and nothing great in life is easy. Mm. But then you know at least that you've got that solid foundation with a nice sort of financial underpinning before you make the jump across. I'm probably a little bit more risk averse than Matt. Matt would probably be like, ah, just do it. You'll be right. <laughs> I'm a little bit more like, mm, let's just make sure there's a contingency plan. Let's buy an ostrich. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, so, you know, maybe, maybe your well, advice is more sage than mine. I don't no, know. Well, yeah, I mean, not really. When I first was, so when I was self-employed at 19, I had been working for a labor hire company in the mines. Mm. Met a guy. I was welding a tub on a 785, yeah. like a, a cat, yeah. big earth moving truck. And he was like, I like the way you work because he worked for himself. Mm. He was a subcontractor. He's like, I like your work ethic. You're pretty cool. If you ever have your own gig, give me a call and I'll give you a job. So I think that week I like got a loan, a business loan, started a business, got really? a business loan, bought a truck. Yeah. I bought a trailer. Actually, I made my own trailer, <laughs> bought a welder, all the bits and pieces. And then I rang this guy. I'm like, hey, I'm, um, I've just gone out of my own. Have you got any work? And he's like, oh, nothing really much at the moment. But I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> For my trailer, I've done Just everything. all the welding gear to go out of my own. Ended up like it was only a week and yeah. I'd doing bits of pieces for farmers and, and yeah, got my own gig as a metal, like earth moving maintenance in the mines just mm. through just jumping in, having a go. I was sick of working for people. So, yeah, I didn't do the juggle for very long. Yeah, it's a balancing act, isn't it? I think doing the juggle, I've done the juggle. Like I like the idea of the juggle too. And But the jumping in seems to work too. It's just a more risky way of... And they say, you know, from a, a mental perspective, the all-in is really important, right? Yeah, they true. say if you always have a fallback, you will never be all-in. Mm. And I think if I didn't have kids, I would be more of an advocate for that. Because, you know, like if you don't have a mortgage or a family or any of those things, like if you can't pay your rent one week, it's not that big a deal. Maybe just like call the bank of mum and dad or whatever it is. We'd be okay. You have so many options. Like I've got a girlfriend who runs a really phenomenal chiropractic and allied health clinic and she lived in a caravan in her sister's backyard for a really long time while she built her business. Wow. And, you know, that was part of the compromise she had to make in order to grow a really successful business. But it was before we were married with children and had mortgages (laughs) and all of those things. So you can do those things, right? So it's probably different advice depending on where people are in their life stage. If you are young and you are hungry and ambitious and you want to do it and you're comfortable with like living off of red beans and rice and you do that like go all in because Mm. if you don't have a backup plan then you will commit more to it 
But if you're at a different season of life and you need to be a little bit more risk averse, then just do the juggle. Yeah. But you know what? Give yeah. it a crack. There's mm. People will judge you no matter what you do. Mm. So you may as well give them something to judge you for. So yes. just give it a crack. Worst case, it's a horrible failure and you just pay some bills off later. You know what? I always say you may as well be judged for something you believe in. Yeah. You know, so what's the people will judge you whether you say anything or not. Yeah. Whereas if you speak out about something you're passionate about yeah. and they're going to judge you, at least it's something you believe. We always tell our kids, it's like a Dr. Seuss saying, it's those that matter won't mind. And those that mind don't matter. matter. Don't mind. Yeah. yeah, I like yeah. that one. Yeah. It's such a good one, you know, like anyone that matters will support you and be there for you. And anyone that yeah, matters. Just be that authentic to yourself yeah, too. You know people. what you want. Mm. So yeah. do it. Doesn't mm. really matter. And just get heaps of animals. They won't judge you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I really aspire that I have that solution. I get have Get a goats really good equine psychotherapist and, <laughs> and you'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> so what about people? This is another thing I was thinking about when you were talking about the connection to na- nature. So many people are in the city and, and in, in more concrete boxes and apartments and things like that. How can people connect to nature in those sort of environments? So if they don't have access all the time, what are some little things that people can be doing or daily practice to connect to nature? Go to the park take your shoes and socks off and just ground yourself in the dirt or go to the beach. Mm. There's so many things yeah. that you can meditate. I mean, I've only started meditating in the last probably three months. And it before, was a slow burn to get it. Oh, yeah. And before that, <laughs> I, I was like- I get my onto it yet. I was like, just, I always I can't meditate. Too much going on. But that's the first step of meditating. It's being mm. aware. Just bring yourself back. Or you just bring yourself back and have ice baths. Ice baths can help you meditate. Really? Ice baths? I haven't been able to do it. I've had a cold shower. but I've Ice baths are bath? easier than a cold shower. Really? Yeah. I hate cold showers. Cold showers <laughs> are shit. I want my shower to be this warm, cozy know, experience. Like warm well, ice, showers are hard because you've got the hot tap right there. Mm. So you don't have to be cold. No. I mean, if you don't have access to an ice bath, just turning the hot off mm. is a, a massive achievement. Mm. And it's like you're silencing the inner bitch. <laughs> Because you don't want to be cold. We've become too comfortable being comfortable and we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So just taking that first initial step, segue pretty hard into ice baths, but... Shocked. I'm shocked. You know, like having... like, And that's the first step to overcome some big problems that we have as a society because so many people I talk to, I couldn't do that. What do you mean you couldn't do that? It's cold water. Like, Mm. it's not that hard. It's the easiest, hardest thing anyone can do. Mm. And if you can get cold when you don't have to be, you've started a process to help achieve greater things. I just want to caveat this. That there are some <laughs> contraindications for ice baths. So if you have a heart conditioning or a fainting problem or any of those things, please do not take an ice bath without a medical professional around. Everyone else, go for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like that was the healthiest thing. Yeah. Hey, this is from This is brought to you yeah, by the health. Please, like, please, have a, any please, do not please don't sue me if you have an ice bath and faint in it. Or you can also just, you know, get it cool. Get a shower and then just turn slowly mm. turn it down a little bit. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. People just need to be more comfortable. To go being. back to your question. <laughs> so I like to talk, talk about New York City, right? Everyone knows what Central Park is in New York, yeah? Yeah, Central Park, yeah, right? yeah. That was built because when they were building New York City, they said, we need to give people green space. Hmm. It's really important. And they're going to need it. So they built this huge park in the middle of the city. Every city in Australia has parks, right? Like, mm. I mean, look, I'm, I say that as a loose statement, but... I think they do. Yeah. I think it's like a city planning requirement, right? Find the park, leave your phone at home if you can, and go and just spend conscious time touching the ground and just do the, like, notice what's there, right? So we often will go, oh, I'm going to the park and I'll just go for a power walk through the park or maybe I put a podcast on and I power walk my dog through the park or I take the kids and I sit on my phone while they're playing in the park. But it's about going to the park and sitting and just really spending time observing what's there. Mm. And you'll be amazed at things that you can notice when you choose to consciously observe time in nature. And, it, you know, I say to people, I'm like, we're going to sit and we're just going to look at the individual blades of grass. And come with me on this, right? I know it's getting a bit weird, but like... I'm still with you. <laughs> if you sit and you look at the grass, you will be astounded at how many different colours and textures and shapes you will see in just one little patch around you, Mm. that in itself is meditation, right? So you're sitting and you're consciously choosing to be present with what's around you. Just spend five minutes, 10 minutes, however long you can get away with doing it, Mm. just sitting on the ground and observing the grass. Or maybe it's looking up at the tree and going, what can I see in the tree? 
What are the leaves doing? How is the breeze moving through them? What is the texture of the bark? Can I see any birds? So we like to call these mindfulness techniques because we, as a society, love a label for anything, but really all it is is just taking time to consciously be in nature. By doing that, you will find that you'll end up with improved heart rate variability. You've had contact with the ground and that you're grounding out. And we all know, like everyone likes to talk about taking your shoes off and grounding at the moment. It's very mm. trendy. But you are, you're sitting there and you're doing that. By physically touching the soil with your skin, you'll be getting a transfer of bacteria. That's really had a lot of correlations to improved health outcomes. You're probably going to get a little bit of sunlight. That's got improved outcomes. You're getting some nice, clean, fresh air. Yeah, sure, you might be still in the city, but at least you're going to be around trees, which we know are cleaning the air for us. So, you know, you can go and just spend 10 or 15 minutes at the park consciously choosing to be present and take time to observe the things that are around you. And I can guarantee you will not feel worse afterwards. And that is 100% free set of steak knives, guarantee <laughs> you do this. Be careful. Someone listening might not Honestly, like not having steak knives and they might be like <laughs> mate you anyone wants to do it and then come back to me and go I felt worse afterwards like I don't know I'll give you something but <laughs> I'll give you 50 bucks <laughs> first, first session Wolfpack Ranch yeah first oh, yes. session yes. free right? I love that. but honestly it's so simple and you know if you have a family and you can't get to the park go to your backyard go to your front mm. yard everyone has access to some around them that is nature. Mm. One of the things we say, everyone's in a concrete box. And yes, we are. But at the end of the day, the beauty of city planning is that we do have green spaces. You know, if you live in Brisbane, we have some phenomenal, beautiful green spaces. Get your family out there with you. You know, obviously, Mm. if you've got young people, it can be really hard to get them to sit there and spend 10 quiet minutes with you observing the tree. But you can make it a game with children. I've got a a two and a half year old son, and I can assure you, he is not going to sit there and meditate for 10 minutes. (laughs) But we will go out in the morning and we will walk around on the grass and we look in the trees to see what we can spot. Mm. And we look for birds. Lizard hunting, where we look for lizards. We look for lizards. We look for birds. We go, what noises can we hear? And we try and name all the noises that we can hear. What can we smell? Try and name all the things that we can smell. What can we feel? Can we feel a breeze? Can we feel the sun? And these are just ways that you can then kind of make it a bit of a fun game, but start teaching our young people mindfulness techniques that are rooted in nature and going, hey, we're all going as a family going to go out for 10 minutes and we're just, we're going to sit in the backyard and see what we can see and spot and feel and touch and smell. And it really, it brings us back into our bodies. It gives us time in nature. It's a meditative technique and everyone will feel more coherent and more regulated afterwards. So they're simple. So with all of this in mind, I wanted to ask what, when you think of all this experience, because you're raising a family as well as running a business, right? What values do you hope, like through this experience, through seeing the work that you're doing, through doing this work with your children, what values do you hope that that, that's going to raise for them, I guess, in the future? Or or what values do you hope you're going to raise in your children through this process? So we have like a family motto. And so as a family, we hedge everything that we do in, are you being kind and are you being curious? Mm. Act first with kindness. So, you know, if the kids make a choice, we say to them, "Mm, were you acting first with kindness and were you being curious? Mm. There for us as a family, the two sort of, I guess, values that underpin all of our choices. And for us, we want to raise young people who act first with kindness and then back it up with curiosity. Because in in our opinion, there's not many things in life that can't be fixed with kindness and curiosity. You know, we want to raise young people who are resilient, who are in touch with nature and understand the value that the natural earth brings us as people. We are not able to act and live and survive silo from it, so we need to work with it and care for it. Mm. And we need to be able to connect with other people. Mm. And in order to do that, we need to be kind and we need to be curious Mm. because you do not need to like everybody. You do not need to agree with everybody. You do not need to be in the same value state or any of those things with other people. But you do need to be kind to them because at the end of the day, being unkind doesn't do anyone good and be curious about why they are how they are Mm. because you might find you learn something, which Mm. is amazing. What Mm. other greater gift is there in life than to learn something? At least if you aren't interested after you learn about them, if you've entered it with kindness and curiosity, you can walk away and go, you know what? That wasn't for me. I hope you have an amazing day and you can feel good about yourself. Mm. And, you know, you can then move on to the next person and go, great, let's repeat the process. And also too nature and animals act first with kindness you know be stewards of the land nature if you see a piece of rubbish you know we take the kids to the creek and we'll go for a swim and be like hey guys let's pick up some rubbish as we walk out so it's that kindness and curiosity where i would like all of my kids 
to find to leave a place better than they found it. Mm. So I do a lot with like, yeah, go to the creek and just pick up ten bits of rubbish on the way out. Mm. Things like that. That kindness towards people, animals, everything. Just mm. more kindness. I think in life we need more people with a social conscience, mm. people that do care about making other people's lives better, making the world better, making the environment better yeah. at the end of the day. And if we can raise that in our kids, I mean, it's not much more you can ask for because that equates to everything. Mm. You know, if they've got a good social conscience and they're kind and they're curious and they, you know, leave the world better, I don't know, I think that's, think that's some really good things to aspire to. Look, I am conscious of time and we are at the rocket round. Okay. So we have covered a lot and a lot of really good content. And I hope that some people that have children are listening to this as well and able to implement some of these ideas in their own life. Go to the park after after work and there's that temptation to get on and get on the screens. I think we even have a rule at our house because we do live on acreage. No, they can have screen time, but not till after five, not till the sun, the sun goes down. Other than that, yeah. You're running around and yeah. chasing the goats and playing with the dogs <laughs> because that's the other thing with animals. If you don't play with them after school, they get pretty sad. So yeah. we talk to our kids about that. Our golden retrievers would not have that. Anyway, Rocket Round's just about learning. It's a bit of a lighthearted one just to learn a bit more about you both. So I wanted to see if you'll answer similar or if you're very different. <laughs> I don't think we swapped notes on this either. No, no we I checked like everything it. else. Yeah. But yeah. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> favorite book. Like a dating show all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, favorite book. My favourite book is Ho'oponopono. Okay. So we'll send that and you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. But basically it's a Hawaiian art of forgiveness and healing. Yeah. And that was probably the book that changed the way I look at everything. Wow. So yes. that's my number one Do must read that. for everyone. Okay. Ho'oponopono. Yeah. Ho'oponopono. Mm. It is. It's an amazing book. Mine is Jonathan Livington Seagull by okay. Richard Bach, okay. which is another really amazing book, which it's a really old book. And some people will be like, I want to know about this. It's a bit weird. But read it a few times and there's life before Jonathan Livingston Seagull and there's life after Jonathan Livingston Seagull. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to read both of these books. Okay, Holiday Destination. Wolfpack Ranch. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that plug. My marketing person was like, oh, he did so well. <laughs> For me, it's anywhere in Southeast Asia. I loved Cambodia. I'd love to get back to Cambodia sooner rather than later. No, mine's yeah. anywhere along the ocean. The ocean is my happy place. Yeah. Oh, yes. Which so, is ironic given we live so far from the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you can't. How far would it take no, you? No, no, we're 45 minutes to an hour okay. from saltwater. Yeah. 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 And cats or dogs? Can we have both? <laughs> I dogs. knew you guys would and say And horses that. and pigs and yeah. buffalo and cows. Cats, and- dogs or ostrich? <laughs> uh, no, mine's dogs. Dogs? We have cats, but mine are dogs. I love oh, all animals. You, you feel like you can't. It's like picking a favourite child, I, I right? know. I couldn't possibly. <laughs> yeah, I can. Matt doesn't really like Zombie cats. apocalypse. <laughs> it's dogs. You're not taking a cat with you to protect you. <laughs> so the cats wouldn't protect you. They wouldn't care. No, they'd probably help the them. cats would probably just finish the crumbs. Hey, let's be honest. The cats are probably spies for the other side. Yeah. You know, let's be. Yeah, okay. I love my cats. But you, though. yeah, you love both, and you're yeah. you're a dogs man. Coffee or wine? Both. Coffee. Depends on the time of day. Coffee. Yeah. Maybe an espresso. If you said coffee or beer, it'd be hard. But coffee and wine, it's yeah. coffee. White Christmas or summer Christmas? Oh, summer Christmas. Yeah, summer. Mostly because I've never had a white Christmas. Yeah, okay. It I looks like pretty, but. Yeah, I've had one and I think I rate summer. Over Christmas here. Christmas at the creek is pretty good. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously being Australian, it's a bit institutionalised, but Christmas feels like, you know. Swimming. Being outdoors and yes. having a barbie and yes. backyard cricket and all of those really iconic things. So I feel like it'd be weird to not. And I feel like the two of you loving nature so much, like White Christmas is all indoors. I feel like, yeah, I I thought you'd say summer. What podcast are you listening to right now? I'm always, I've got my toe always scrolling through Joe Rogan and I sort of pick which ones I listen to. I don't listen to too much of the comedy ones, more Mm -hmm. of like the um, Graham Hancocks and all those, those style of ones are really interesting. Yeah, that's probably the one I was doing. Warwick Schiller's. Journey on. Journey on podcast is amazing. Mm-hmm. Highly mm-hmm. recommend that for anyone, even if it's it's ironic because he's a very famous horse trainer, but his podcast has nothing to do with horses. Oh. Sometimes um, it does, but it's more about the journey. It's on. mostly about people's journeys, and it's a really phenomenal one for people. It was a life-changing one for both of us. Shrink Rap, rap Radio. Shrink Rap Radio. Yeah, it's a really tough one, but it's just it's a, it's a geeky oh, psychotherapy ooh, one. Yeah. Okay. But it's pretty cool. That's a good one we listen mm. to a fair bit. I like a bit of Ben Greenfield. Hmm. Hmm. There's a few good ones there for listeners. And what makes you feel like you're home? Jazz. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, yes, for me, it's the people, right? I think it's, you know, being around people 
that fill your cup, mm. that's all you need. You know, if that's your family, if that's your friends, Animals. you can be anywhere in the world. If you've chosen to surround yourself with people mm. that fill your cup, you're at home. Mm. Love that. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's just been fascinating learning about your journey and just a different way of thinking. And that's what we're all about is just challenging people's different perceptions on how they can improve their lives. And a simple way of doing that is being more connected to nature. And you've given some great tips. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. That's (laughs) good. How can our audience support you? So what can we do? How can we learn more? So we have our, we can head to our website, which is wolfpackwellness.clinic and we're on the social so you can always connect with us there. I guess as far as supporting us is, you know, if you have a team that you want to bring and do professional development with them, reach out and we would love to work with people. If you have a young person that you want to, you know, get back into nature or you think needs a little bit of extra help and support, reach out and connect because we've got lots of things that we can do in that space. You can build me an arena. That would be great. (laughs) If there's anyone that is like in that space and wants to do that, that's totally fine as well. The main way (laughs) I'm going to lean into our space is helping disadvantaged youth. So kids that are don't subscribe to the normal schooling, yeah. they're always in trouble, yeah. sort of trying to do that mentoring mm. process with kids that like, were like me growing mm. up, didn't fit in the box mm. properly. So, yeah, anyone that's, I mean, after we get our degrees, anyone that's got any kids that are struggling with school and behavioural problems and we'll be doing, I'll be doing some stuff with that, which, you know fencing on the farm Mm. but with a counselling aspect of it so it's not just like let's come and sit in a a concrete box and talk about your feelings we're you know doing stuff with cows or we're going to do some stuff with horses but sort of helping kids adjust to you know 2023 Mm. way of life I love it. And when you're ready, let us know because we will definitely bring out the Quran and Co crew and we'll come out and have a corporate day because I'm so keen to get Jess and um, we've got a new team member, Renee, that started today. So, yeah, and she lives near the beach. So Jess and I both live out near land. So, yeah, we would love to come along. So let us know. Absolutely. Thank you. So definitely uh, keep an eye on our socials as well. So when you are ready, we'll definitely make an announcement so that people can know that you're ready to open to guests. And also I'll make make sure you jump on and follow you on Instagram and things like that as well. And we'll have the links in the bio. So and we've got a farm stay as well. So if anyone wants to come just for an Airbnb farm stay, we probably link that somewhere as well. Put your comfy pants on and come and hang out with a water buffalo and soon to be ostrich. And a soon to be ostrich. (laughs) What a win. Want to win an overnight stay at the Wolfpack Wellness Ranch and a guided equine therapy session? Jump on and like our Instagram page at Building Doors Podcast and follow the prompts. Good luck. And as always, if you're enjoying this podcast and you think that these tips will benefit a friend, please share it and like and subscribe. And if you're really loving it, please leave us a review. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.